all right. Well, my name is Joel, and I'm one of the pastors here. I'm excited to be with you guys today. Um, you know, you can judge a book by its cover. People say you can't. I disagree. You can. If you were looking uh, uh, up here at this book, and you were to judge me by my cover, uh, in this analogy, I'm a book. It's strange. But you would say, man, that guy can grow a beard, right? It, it, it's, it's easy to see that, right? If you were to look at, at, at me and, and you were to judge me by my cover right now, you'd say, well, he's, he's got a microphone on. Perhaps he enjoys speaking, right? And enjoys talking, uh, probably a little too much. Um, you would be correct about that. If you were to judge this book by its cover, you would look and say, raw athletic physical prowess. I mean... <laughs> It's really low-hanging fruit. I mean, you don't have to be a, a rocket scientist to figure that out. Am I right? Yeah. No, okay? No, not at all. Um, um, I actually did grow up playing sports. I, I played baseball, loved, uh, from the time I was in diapers. My, my mom would allow me to watch the Atlanta Braves play baseball uh, on TV. And uh, I, I loved pitching. I loved pitchers. Uh, that was back in the day, for those of you who are sports fans, uh, for those of you who are baseball fans, all three of us in the room probably, uh, that was when like Greg Maddox and John Smoltz and Steve Avery and Tom Glavin, all those guys were pitching. That, those were the days, man, uh, for the Atlanta Braves. But I would watch baseball growing up and, and, and became a baseball player, uh, loved baseball from the time I was old enough to play t-ball uh, all the way until uh, I unfortunately uh, threw my arm out pitching at age 15. Could have been a millionaire, you know? <laughs> Actually, I never would have been <laughs> a millionaire. You could have like given me a bionic arm and I still wouldn't have made it in the major leagues. But, uh, but I played baseball a lot growing up and I loved the game. And, and that was really the only organized sport that I uh, played up until the time I was 12 years old. I had this baseball coach uh, that really, he, he, he was an awesome guy. He loved me. Uh, his son and, and, and I were friends, and he also coached basketball um, for AAU, uh, which is Amateur Athletic Union. They do, uh, they do travel league sports for kids all over the country, and uh, he was putting this basketball team together that was supposed to be pretty good, and, uh, and he invited me to try out for the team. Now, I had never played uh, organized basketball before. Of course, I'd played pick up basketball with my friends and, and all of that. But uh, when he invited me to try out for the team, he was pretty honest up front. He said, you know, Joel, um, I think you could be a great addition to the team. Um, you probably won't get much, if any, playing time uh, because the team that we've got shaping up is pretty good. But we need someone who's athletic and, and who's fast who can basically be kind of like a practice dummy for all the good kids. So he was pretty honest up front, right? And, uh, but, but he recruited me and said, hey, look, I think you would have a ton of fun. And honestly, I was kind of like, well, I don't have anything better to do. Baseball season is, is over, and I'm going to be bored out of my mind. I may as well go you know, chase some really good basketball players around the court and uh, see if I can figure out what I'm doing. And so I did. I tried out for the team, and, and he brought me on, and, uh, and that's exactly how the season played out. I mean, I, I had my own special spot on the bench uh, I, I knew exactly what was going on in the game because I wasn't actually on the court. And, uh, 
And from time to time, if we were like blowing out a team, I'd get on the court and run around and make a fool out of myself. Um, but it was a great experience. I got to spend a lot of uh, good time with some awesome people. Uh, we had a, a really great team. We ended up uh, uh, in the state championship game. We did lose, uh, but that was enough for us to go to the national tournament. Uh, we got to go to Salt Lake City, Utah. It was a lot of fun. Uh, on that team were Division I athletes uh, that, that would go on to play uh, for, for awesome teams, and I was not one of those, but I had a great time. And that coach was so awesome uh, to me because he saw something in me that I could contribute to that team that I wouldn't have ever seen in myself. And, and the reality is that a lot of people really don't value that role on a team, right? They don't value the practice dummy. They, they don't value the, I mean, no one's, uh, no, no sport commentators right now are like, you know, the Denver Broncos really surprised some people this year, and I really think the key was the practice team, right? Like, no one's writing those articles, and if they do, no one's reading them, right? But the reality is, is those pieces of the puzzle are very, very important, and, and, and we live in a world that really doesn't value those pieces of a puzzle very much. We value the star. We value the person who is uh, up front, the person who's getting the big paycheck, uh, that, that gets all of the headlines written about them. Uh, we value those people, right? Nobody sits in a fantasy football draft and picks, you know, some, some uh, guy who is only going to play on the practice team because you know there's no value to that, and that's kind of the world and the culture that we live in. And in some ways, that totally makes sense. But in other ways, I think we're missing uh, out on quite a bit. We've been in the book of 1 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul uh, planted a church in a city called Corinth. Uh, and this city was a crazy city, uh, a lot of entertainment. It was a, kind of a, a, an ancient Las Vegas. Uh, a lot of entertainment, a lot of money uh, coming through the city of Corinth. And when Paul planted the church, he spent quite a bit of time with them. And after spending quite a bit of time with them, actually left on another missionary journey. While he was on that journey, he heard a report back about the Corinthians that they were kind of struggling to figure some things out. Uh, they were grasping to figure out what it meant to be the church, what it meant to be the body of Christ, what it meant to do life uh, and Christianity. And so the Apostle Paul writes the letter of 1 Corinthians. We've been in it for a while, and uh, it is just an awesome glimpse into some of the struggles that the early church had, and it's also a glimpse into the struggles that we have every single day. Why don't you guys grab your Bibles? We're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And if you're in a Mosaic Bible, that's going to be on page 663. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now Paul is writing this letter and he has covered a multiplicity of issues. And really the primary issue, and he starts out with this issue in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, but, it, but it really is a recurring theme throughout the book of 1 Corinthians, is that there was a lot of division within the church in, in Corinth. A lot of people taking sides over a variety of issues uh, and a variety of things. Now in an election year, I know we can't relate to that. We don't understand what, what that might be about. But, uh, but, but a lot of people are taking sides. There were taking sides over different things. Who was the favorite 
teacher? Who was, uh, you know, who was the, 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 the person that they most resonated with in the way that they would present the gospel of Jesus Christ? They, they took sides uh, uh, over teachers, but also over uh, socioeconomic realities. They would take sides over kind of who was the more wealthy. Uh, they, would, they would try to kind of push down the impoverished people within the church. Uh, they took sides uh, and, and uh, had divisions, even in the way that they did uh, communion. We talked about that uh, last week. And so Paul is writing, kind of continuing on this theme of speaking into the different divisions that were happening within the church. And he is, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, going to address yet another issue of division that is coming up within the church of Corinth. And that was the division over spiritual gifts. So let's go ahead and jump in. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 1, he says, Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be ignorant. I want to give you some clarity right now. So he's going to begin to give some clarity. He says, verse 2, you know that when you were pagans, this is when you were following after the, uh, the, the idols of the culture, the idols uh, that, that surround you and not worshiping the one true God. When you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. What, what Paul is saying is, uh, when you were following after these false gods, you were led astray and, and the way that you were led astray was that, that all of the things you kind of learned about spiritual life, you, whatever you may have learned, it was wrong, right? Like whatever you learned by going to the temple and, and worshiping false gods, don't t- take that and try to apply it to Christianity, to, uh, to a relationship with the one true God, because it won't work, right? However you were led, you were led astray. Uh, verse 3, he says, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one ever says Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So Paul is making a distinction that not every spirit is a Holy Spirit. He, he's saying that there are, uh, there are evil spirits and there is the Holy Spirit. And with Uh, The Holy Spirit, you can declare Jesus to be your Lord, but you can't do it apart from the Holy Spirit. And you can curse Jesus uh, with evil spirits, but you can't do that with the Holy Spirit. What Paul is trying to help them understand is that there is the Spirit of God, and he is uh, leading us toward Jesus. And then there are evil spirits that are leading us away from Jesus, and never the two shall meet. He is making a clear distinction between those two. And, and, and a lot of times we can get hung up on this idea of saying Jesus is Lord, whether or not those words can come out of our mouth. But the reality is, is, is that, that this is a declaration, a life declaration of lordship. Uh, this is a, uh, a reality that we are stepping into when we say Jesus is Lord. This isn't just words coming out of our mouth, but this is a declaration being made. And so Paul is saying you can't just make that declaration uh, without the Holy Spirit. And, and you can't actually curse Jesus with your life apart from evil spirits. So that's what Paul is, is making the distinction uh, there for. So verse four, he says, now, there are a variety of gifts. He's about to talk about the gifts that the Holy Spirit bestows upon the church. He said, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. So you're gonna see a lot of this. Variety, but the same there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. 
And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So what Paul is saying here is that, look, that there's a variety of different gifts, but there's only one Holy Spirit who is giving those gifts. There are a, a variety of different ways to serve, different service, but there's only one Holy Spirit that is uh, giving us the ability to serve. And there are a variety of activities, a lot of things that we can do within the body of Christ, but there is only one Holy Spirit that is directing us to those activities and to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. And that's a lot of big words, but what Paul is saying is that to each individual person, you have the ability to demonstrate the spirit of God within you for the common good of, of everyone else, right? So Paul is trying to help uh, the Corinthians understand is that each and every one of you, if you believe in Jesus, if Jesus is Lord, then that means you do have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. And if you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you, regardless of the gift, regardless of the service, regardless of the activity, you have been given the ability to manifest the Holy Spirit throughout those gifts or services or activities for the purpose of the common good. Verse 8, he says, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now what Paul is trying to help them understand is that there are a variety of gifts and services and activities, a lot of ways that we can manifest the Spirit of God within the context of the body, the church. And, and for you, you might manifest the Spirit of God one way, and I might manifest the Spirit of God in another way, but it's the same Holy Spirit who is giving us the ability to manifest who he is to each other and to the world, and it's important for us to recognize that these are given to us by God's will for his own glory. That is the, the reason that God is giving us these gifts or abilities to serve or activities to do. It's so that we would be able to demonstrate who he is to one another and to the world. And he has apportioned each one individually as he wills. Now these gifts, a lot of times there's, you know, tons of uh, debate cir circulating around these particular gifts, but the reality is, is this is not the only list of gifts that is given to us 
in the scripture. Uh, Paul is going to later in, in 1 Corinthians 12 talk about some other types of gifts. There are also uh, uh, gifts that are listed in Romans chapter 12, some more practical gifts that are given. So Paul is specifically kind of using spiritual gifts as, a, uh, as an example of the reality that all of us have different gifts, whether they be spiritual gifts or abilities to serve or activities to do that demonstrate who God is to the church and to the world. And there are other types of gifts, not only spiritual gifts, but there are also practical gifts, like things you'll find in Romans chapter 12. Or there are gifts that are given to the church in terms of kind of like our roles within the body, like Ephesians uh, chapter 4 talks about uh, Jesus giving some to be apostles and prophets and pastors and evangelists and teachers for the equipping of the saints so that we would be able to do the work of the ministry and be mature and complete. So there are several different types of lists of gifts that are given to us in the New Testament Paul is using spiritual gifts to help the, first, uh, the, the people in, in Corinth understand uh, exactly why division is so destructive and what God's hope is for the Corinthians as they use their individual gifts within the body. So he continues on. Verse 12, he says, For just as one body, uh, I'm sorry, just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks or slaves or free, and we were all made to drink out of one spirit. So Paul is trying to get them all back on the same page here, saying, look, it doesn't matter where you came from when you came to Christ. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your current reality is. None of that matters. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're, uh, what, what your ethnicity is or what your socioeconomic class is. None of that stuff matters because you were all made to drink from the same spirit. You were all baptized into one body. If you are a Christ follower, you are a part of God's church. And that makes you unified whether you like it or not. We are in the same boat together is what Paul is helping them understand. Then he begins to step into this beautiful analogy about an actual human body and how the human body works and how that correlates and relates to the body of Christ. He says, For the body does not consist of one member or one body part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. So what he's saying there is, regardless of whether you think you're a part of the body, guess what? You're a part of the body. He says, uh, he says it doesn't make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would, make it, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? I mean, Paul's saying, look, we're, we, we get this, like, we get this in our own physical bodies. We understand this, that, that the, our own physical body, it's made up of many parts, and each part of the body plays its own part. I mean, all of us have 
head and shoulders and knees and toes. We, we all have a body and we know that it works and that, that the ear does something different than the eye and the eye does something different than the nose and all of those things are important to us and our human existence. So Paul is using this as an argument to help them understand that that is how the body of Christ should work. He says in verse 18, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. See, God has intentionally put the body of Christ together. And he has intentionally taken each one of us and gifted us uniquely so that we can play a part in the body to manifest the spirit to one another and to the rest of the world. He says, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Paul is trying to help the Corinthians here understand that each one of them are made and gifted to do different service and activities intentionally by God. And that God intentionally arranged the parts of the body together so that we together could work together for the common good to demonstrate who God is to each other and to the world. Paul's big idea in this chunk of scripture is to say, look, you play a part in the body and your part matters. Don't look at someone else and say, man, I, I really wish I, I could do that. You know, I, I really wish I could, I could, I could be like him, or I wish I could be like her. I wish I could, I could do that thing. Man, I, I could imagine if God had only just given me that gift, that I would be able to make such an impact on the kingdom of God if I could just be able to do that thing. And we all fill in the blanks with different things, right? Isn't it so funny how like, that's just kind of human nature. Like people who have curly hair wish they had straight hair. And people who have straight hair just wish they had curly hair, right? And, and, and for people who are blonde, they just want to be brunette. And for people who are brunette, they just want to be blonde. I mean, that's just human nature, right? We all want to be what we are not. And Paul is saying, come on, guys. God has actually intentionally gifted you and placed you in the body so that you can make an impact on the body and on the world to manifest who God is to everyone around you. What an awesome and beautiful thing. So your part matters. It's necessary. And he continues on. In verse 21, he says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor, again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. Why? that there may be no division in the body, but that the members of the body may have the same care for one another. 
that if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. See, Paul continues on by saying, not only does your part matter, but so does his. And so does hers. That your part and their part matter together. That, that you can't look at your gift and say, man, I wish I had their gift. But you also can't look at your gift and say, I wish they had my gift. You see what Paul does there? As he's helping them understand that they play a major important role. Every single person, every single one of us plays a major important role within the body to help manifest the spirit of God. But your role doesn't matter any more than someone else's role. Now, why did God do that? Why did God so compose the body that way? Why did God take some of the parts that maybe seem to be less honorable and bestow greater honor on those parts? Why did he do that? So that we would all look at each part and say, man, they all matter, right? You don't think your appendix is a big deal until it starts to rupture. You know what I'm saying? Like, like the, the, the reality is, is that God has placed all of us in the body with all of our different gifts and talents and personalities and skill sets and resources and backgrounds so that we can demonstrate who he is more fully to the world. Because we were created to image a very vast God. God's really big. You think just Joel can demonstrate all of the image of God on his own? I can barely image a little bit, right? On my own. It takes all of us to image God. So Paul is saying, not only does your part matter, not only is your part necessary, but other people's parts are necessary as well. And God has intentionally put us together. Listen to this, verse 27. He says, now you are the body of Christ collectively. And individually, you are members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles and second prophets. He gets on to some other, other gifts and offices. Third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating. He, he's talking about gifts. He's talking about service. He's talking about activities. He's talking about all of these things. He's saying, uh, are all apostles? Well, what do you think the answer to that is? No. This is a, a, a rhetorical no, okay? Are all apostles? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. What Paul is trying to help them understand is that all of us are given something, but none of us are given everything. Why would God do it that way? So that we would need each other. See, God doesn't exist solely as one person. Now, some of you might think I'm about to start preaching heresy, but hang on. God exists as one God 
Three persons. There is one God, and he is Father. He is the Son. He is the Holy Spirit. There is one God and three actual persons with personalities, with ability to communicate within the Trinity. God in his essence is community. God the Father is fully God. God the Son is fully God. And God the Spirit is fully God. And they have eternally existed in community and continue to do so. And we are made in his image. And that's why after God created all of the things he created in the first six days of creation, he said it is good, 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 it is good. And the first time he said it's not good is when? That we should be alone. See, God created us to image him to display him, to glorify him. And we cannot do that alone. So the gift that you've been given, it matters. But you didn't get every gift. He got a gift, and she got a gift, and I got a gift, and we got a gift. So that we could together manifest who God is for the benefit of the body, for the glory of God. What a beautiful, beautiful reality. And this is why Paul is writing to the Corinthians and saying, hey, look, when you divide over this stuff, saying one gift is more important than another gift, how absurd is that, right? It's like saying one member of the Trinity is more important than the other. But God has arranged each one of us in the body so that we could demonstrate and display and manifest to each other and to the world who God is. That's awesome. We got a, a, a couple of people in our church. In fact, man, we have a lot of people in our church that do this so well, <laughs> that, that use their giftings so well. And I, I, I can think of a thousand examples of this. I, I look around and see all these blue shirts that say blue shirt on them, and I think, wow, what an awesome way to manifest the Spirit of God to each other. That, that I would come to church and say, I'm gonna put a blue shirt on, a target on my back, and say, come ask me a question about this place. I'd love to, to try to get that answered. I'd love to meet you. I'd love to spend time talking with you and hearing about your story. What an awesome way to demonstrate who God is to the rest of us. I, I think of the, the sound and lighting and media team in the back. Most of them only get recognition when things go badly. You know what I mean? Like there's like some screech and everyone like, no one's paying any attention. It's like, yeah, and then everyone's like. <laughs> you know? And that's the only time they ever get any attention, right? But what an awesome thing it is that they bring their giftings to the table so that we can experience worship in a, uh, in a way that is engaging, right? Where, where the sound is all mixed properly together and the words are up on the screen. 
it's an awesome way and that the lighting is, is correct. I mean, what an awesome way to demonstrate who God is and that the, the cameras are on so that if people are, are not able to make it to church because they're sick, they can, they can watch on our live stream or, or when my, my, my mom breaks her femur and she's stuck in a, a skilled nursing facility, she can live stream the message. Hi, mom. I love you so much. You did a good job. You did a good job. Um, She's shaking her head right now. She's like, Jolie moly. So, you know, all of us, all of us are, are able to use the gifts that God has given us to demonstrate who we, who, who we are, but not, not, no, let me, <laughs> let me back up and say that sentence again. Strike that from your, from your brain. No, God has given us gifts so that we can demonstrate not who we are, but who he is to the world and to each other. It's so awesome, Right? I want to show you a video. It's a, a, a couple in our church. And like I said, there are many people, people that are right now back, I mean, I could list it for, for, forever. People back in children's ministry right now, loving on your kids. I mean, there's people all over this church that do a great job of manifesting who God is. But I want to show you a video of a couple. Uh, they are awesome. Uh, their names are, are Lynn and Holly Gallagher. Uh, and they minister in particular with our Disney campus. And I want to show you a video. Brady, the campus pastor for the uh, Walt Disney World campus, did an interview with them uh, about this subject. So go ahead and take a look at their story. Well, Lynn and Holly, thank you so much for being here today. Really appreciate you being willing to share your story I think it's gonna bless a lot of people. Thank you. Thank you. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you is why did you both choose to make the Disney campus your church home? If you look at it on paper, um, someone might place you in the Oakland campus or the Winter Garden campus where there are people that have similar life experience, maybe people that are retired and married and have kids in college, but you chose to go to the Disney campus instead. Why? It was such a, a neat opportunity when we first went to the Disney campus to see all that God is doing there. And we just saw an opportunity to join him in his work, that there was an opportunity where we could love on people with his love and encourage people um, with his encouragement. And it's really a, an interesting stage of life. Most people at the Disney campus, they're here, and many of them in a state of transition. Um, most of them are away from home mm -hmm. and they come here and, and some of them stay for a period of time, many stay, but many leave from there also. And so we just love the mission of being able to, to love on them and point them to Jesus during their time here and then watch them go back to all different parts of the world and carry that love with them and that gospel story with them. It's a, it's a great opportunity to serve. Wow. I love hearing that because so often I have chosen a church by what would serve me best or what would be best for me or most comfortable for me. So I love hearing your heart uh, that really reflects the heart of Jesus that who came to serve rather than to be served. So thank you so much for being willing to step into maybe a place that's more difficult or um, not as easy or comfortable so that you could bless that campus. It really has been a huge blessing for all of us. Mm -hmm. um, I just kept hearing you saying opportunity to serve. And as I've watched you two, you have found a number of different opportunities to serve, whether that be in chapter one, behind the scenes, uh, serving food, 
or Pizza Night, where you invite a ton of young adults every Thursday night into your home uh, to serve them pizza and then to clean up after them, or discipling young men and young women towards Christ. A lot of things that you do are behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. How have you found these different opportunities to serve, and why choose behind the scenes areas rather than things that people see? Mm-hmm. Well, I would say that it's been easy for us because we look at the mosaic leadership and we believe in the vision and the leadership so it's easy for us to support and so what's that support look like i think it's inarguable that you know christ came and was the greatest leader ever but christ was also the greatest servant ever so how do we marry those two and what does that look like and so we we've all heard the example the body has many parts and we talk about a hand and a foot but I'm kind of a sports guy, so I think more in terms of what's that look like in sports for me. And so we've got a great quarterback and we've got a great coach, but what can I do? And my imagery comes to the, the guy that's the water bottle guy. And so the backup quarterback, he might not even play in the game. He's just going to be sitting there. But the water bottle guy, he's going to serve everybody. He's an intricate part of the game, and the game's not going to go on without him. So what can he do? What can we do to serve like the water bottle guy and if we find those spots I think it's going to prosper the whole team and um, I think that that another biblical example of that is keep your head low you know you want to serve without any recognition don't let your right hand know what your left hand's mm-hmm. doing so if you can do it and be unrecognized even greater mm-hmm. so uh, I think it's just a, a great example that we follow biblically I would say mm-hmm. wow not a lot of people dream to one day be the water bottle guy, right? I mean, that's, that, that's kind of strange. Mm-hmm. How has God developed that heart in you throughout the years? I think we've seen examples too. I think of David, you know, David's a shepherd. And so David's going to be destined for greatness and being the king, but he didn't start out being the king. He started out kind of being the water bottle guy. And so I think if we can take those things that others will recognize in us, other things that we might be able to do, they might recognize our giftedness in other areas. So I think if we're humble enough and obedient enough to follow some of the small practices, then it might lead to something else that might be greater, so to speak. In the different ways that I've seen you both serve, you are very effective. I imagine it's taken uh, years to figure out where it is that you're most gifted. If you had to put a definition or a word towards uh, what spiritual gift you have, what would you say? I think I would say the gift of encouragement Mm. um, and just being able to love on people with the love that God's given us. I would say I was in the grocery business and and I was a manager and um, I like administration. I like to do that, Mm -hmm. but I also like to be a leader when necessary, but even more so, I still like to serve because I think it sets the example for other people and and especially when in our group it was important Mm -hmm. in the grocery store, like, hey, how do we serve a customer and how do we do that? So, uh, but I I think there's different giftedness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How, How have you guys discovered what your giftings are? I think sometimes it's trial and error. Like we might see a need and, mm-hmm. and step into it and rely on the body to, mm-hmm. to let us know. You know, sometimes someone else in the body will affirm that gift. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so sometimes it's trial and error. I think prayer is a, a huge way sure. to identify that gift and to ask God to show us, first of all, what those gifts are and then opportunities to, to use those. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's really helpful. Mm-hmm. There are probably a lot of people 
in our church that either feel like they don't have any gift or that the gift that they have isn't useful or it's not something that's um, worthy of being used in the body? What kind of advice would you give to someone like that who's feeling insecure or that they don't have anything of worth to bring to the table? I love when scripture uses that example of a body mm. and that the body is many parts, but it's a body as a whole. And so really when we're using our gifts, we're not an individual anymore at all. We're part of that one body. And so, and that body is to glorify God. Mm. And so first of all, believing what scripture says about us is true, is that we all have gifts. We all have things that God has called us to do and ways to serve. And so to step into that, knowing that it's not us at all, that it's God is the one that's doing that. And we've talked before about we have, I have the Holy Spirit and I have the Holy Spirit. And when we're Jesus followers, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. And he's part of that is, is the gifting that he's also given us to build up the body. And so I think sometimes it's easy to sit back and look and say, well, gosh, clearly Brady has the gift of communication and teaching. And, but I can't do that. So how would I serve? Or I can't sing like the people in the praise band. So gosh, I don't know. Can I serve? And just relying again on what God says that all of us have gifts and they're meant to be used so that we can be one body that brings him glory. Well, that's really great. Thank you both for being willing to share. Uh, this has been helpful for me, and I know it's going to be helpful for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you. Pastor. Man, how cool is that? As I, as I look into their story, to me what sticks out is just uh, how much hum humility just kind of uh, drips out from them and oozes out from them. They are uh, just people who are humble, who are willing to do whatever it takes uh, to demonstrate who God is and to use whatever gifting or to step in whatever need uh, that they can step into. And, you know, a lot of times I think that the biggest barrier for us to be able to effectively use uh, our gifts within the body of Christ is pride. I mean, it is. Because pride is the reason for both of the issues that the Corinthians faced. Pride is the reason for the issues that we face. When we say uh, that I'm not important, that my gift doesn't matter, do you know what the root of that is? It's actually pride. Yeah, a lot of times we can see the flip side of that and think, oh yeah, that's definitely pride. The, the flip side of that being, yes, my gift matters the most. My, my gift is the most important. We certainly look at that and say that's clearly pride, right? But do you know why it's also driven by pride when we say, I don't matter? You know why? Where's the focus? I, right? But when we submit ourselves and we say, God, can you just use us in any way that you can? C could you just use me in any way that you can use me? God, I want to be used for your glory. I want to be used to benefit the body. I want to be used to benefit uh, uh, people experiencing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to be a part of that. That's, that's humble, right? And we submit ourselves to God. We humble ourselves, and then God can use us in a, in a huge and beautiful way. You know, we talk about uh, what does it look like to get loud, right? We talk about what does it look like to be a church that is loud for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Man, when all of us come together and submit whatever it is that we have, whatever giftings we have to the cause of Jesus, that is something that people will want to know 
why? What, what's, what's this all about? What is this for? Why are all these people coming together and contributing to this one thing? Well, it's for the glory of God. And when we do that together, that's, that's incredibly beautiful for, for people that are looking in. You know, the, unfortunately, the Christians are our chief, you know, uh, if, if people were to judge the Christian book by its cover, you know, we talked about that earlier, most people wouldn't look in on Christians and say, oh yeah, unity, that's what it is. I, I, I got it. I know the number one characteristic. It's unity, right? But what if, what if that were to begin to change? What if we began to say, God, just use me in any way that you can. Just take whatever you've given me and use it for your glory within this body. I think we'd get pretty loud if God were using us like that. You know, this church is called Mosaic. Mosaic, that picture is just a bunch of broken pieces that are put together to display beautiful art. And really, that's all any of us are anyway. It's just some broken pieces. We're just pieces of the puzzle. We have baggage and we have failures and we have all kinds of things that might cause us to not want to be a part. But when we recognize that all of us are actually broken pieces that come together and that God has intentionally arranged each piece together to demonstrate who he is to the world, then we actually become the mosaic that sits on the front of our church sign, that sits uh, at the end of our web address, right? Like, we actually become that beautiful thing. What, what would that look like if 50 of us or 100 of us or 500 of us or 1,000 of us came together and said, okay, God, whatever, whatever I can do, whatever I can be, however you can use me, Please do. And, and by the way, God, thank you for using other people around me in the way that you have chosen to use them. How beautiful is that? May we be a people, Mosaic Church, that allows God to use the unique giftings that he has given us to contribute to the body and to demonstrate who he is to the world. Let's pray together. God, we're grateful grateful people today to hear from your word as Paul instructed the Corinthians about how giftings are supposed to work within the church. God, we recognize that so often it's, it's hard for us to see the value in the giftings that you've given us. God, we recognize that, that is, that's prideful. God, we recognize that that is distrusting of who you are. God, we recognize that you have gifted each and every one of us in one way, shape, or form, maybe even in a multiplicity of ways. You've gifted us to demonstrate who you are to each other and to the world around us. I pray, God, that we would recognize that the giftings you've given us matter and they need to be utilized within the body to display who you are. And I pray, God, that you would help us to look at one another's giftings. And rather than having jealousy for the ones that we wish we had or disdain for the ones that we don't appreciate, God, I pray that we would be people who recognize that we need others around us so that we can together as a collective, as a 
mosaic that we could demonstrate who you are to each other and to the world. God, I pray that this would be a church where we are unified and not divided. And that we recognize that all of us have a part to play in showing who you are. I pray that that would be true for us. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen.